Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Well, good morning, Leesburg Community Church. My name is Mike Jones, and I'm one of the pastors at Stellan Park Baptist Church. And it's a real honour and privilege to be with you this morning and to open up God's Word. Yeah, I was really looking forward to actually being with you in the flesh. However, as you know, we live in strange times where that's not possible. And so I guess this is the best we can do. Uh, but, uh, but thankfully, because of technology, we can still hear God pre- God's Word preached to us each and every week. And so I'm really excited to hear from God this morning. I hope you are too. And so I'd encourage you to grab a Bible if you've got one and open it up to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. That's going to be our passage this morning. And I'd encourage you to keep that passage open as we look at it together. So it's Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Let me read that now. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet. He, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. For she's a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointments. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with them began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Father, as we anticipate the preaching of your word this morning, we're reminded that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word 
is truth. The grass withers, the flower fails and falls, but the word of God is forever. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And no creature is hidden from your sight, but we're all naked and exposed before the eyes of you whom we must give an account. And so we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Holy Spirit, would you show us the Lord Jesus and captivate our hearts with his beauty. And we pray all these things in his wonderful name. Amen. Do you love Jesus? Now, don't mishear me. I'm, I'm not asking if you like Jesus. I'm not even asking if you respect or agree with Jesus. I, I'm not even asking if you believe in Jesus. As important as all of those things are, I'm asking a different question. I'm asking, do you love Jesus? Do you love being in his presence? Do you love talking to him and talking about him? Do you love hearing from him and obeying him? Do you ever tell Jesus that you love him? If I was to ask the people that you live with, or your co-workers, or your friends, or the people on your sports team, or the, the people in your classroom, those that know you best, would they say, that person right there, that, that's a person that loves Jesus Christ. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you've got a really easy answer to that question, and it's this. Nope, I don't love Jesus. And honestly, I don't really want to love Jesus either. And besides, I doubt Jesus is even interested in a person like me anyway. Or maybe you're here this morning and answering that question is a little bit more complicated. So you do love Jesus, but if you were perfectly honest, you know that you should love him more. And, and actually, you'd, you'd like to love him more. But the thing is, when you look inside your own heart, too often you see a coldness and indifference towards Jesus. Now my assumption is that most, if not all of us, fit into one of those two categories today. So what does our passage have to teach us? What does it say to those of us that, that don't love Jesus? And what does it say to those of us that do love Jesus, but we know that we should love him more? Well, in our passage, we meet two people. And one of them loves Jesus. And the other one doesn't. And the question is, why does this person love Jesus? And why does this person not? And what we're going to see is that it's all about what they believe about forgiveness. Because what we believe about forgiveness determines the extent to which we love the Lord Jesus. And our passage teaches us three things about forgiveness. It teaches us the need for forgiveness. It teaches us the reality of forgiveness and it teaches us the cost of forgiveness. The need, the reality and the cost. And so we're going to look at each of those things 
with the rest of our time. So let's begin by considering the need for forgiveness. So hopefully you've still got your Bible open. Let's look down at verse 36, where we see that Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. And the host is a Pharisee who we're told in verse 40 is a guy called Simon. Now, dinner parties were, were very different back then. So in those days, if you had a bit of money, your home was often built around a central courtyard. And on warm evenings, you and your guests would have dinner outside in that courtyard. And dinners like these were not private affairs. So the courtyard was often open to the public. So uninvited townspeople could wander in and out. They could listen to the conversation and then go as they pleased. And although it sounds rather uncomfortable, you would, you would eat almost lying down, just reclined on your, your left hand, and then you'd use your right hand to eat from the table. And uh, because jam wasn't on the menu, your feet were often extended away from the table. And so Jesus is, is reclining at the table, and all of a sudden, behold, there's an unexpected guest. In verse 37, Luke tells us that this guest is a woman of the city, which most take to mean that she was a prostitute. And although this is highly likely, the text doesn't explicitly say, we do know, however, that she is a notorious sinner. Her sin, whatever it was, was publicly known by everyone in the town. In fact, her reputation precedes her name. The average person probably couldn't even tell you her name. We're not told about, we're not told her name in the passage. But the average person could definitely tell you what her sin was. Her sin had become her identity. You know, if you'd have stopped anyone on the street and, they, and you'd have asked, who in this town needs forgiveness? There's no doubt who they would have said. So imagine for a moment what it must have been like to be this woman. To shop for bread, to walk down the street, to go and gather water from the well. Everywhere you go, you're humiliated. The disapproving looks, the, the not so subtle whispers, the patronising comments, the mean jokes, to be considered so dirty that people literally keep their distance in case you accidentally touch them. I mean, this is, this is a woman who knew what social distancing was like. She knew what it was like when she's walking down the street and people walk on the other side. But for her, it was very different. Imagine the crushing, suffocating shame. Now, it's likely that this woman would have had some previous interaction with Jesus. And I'll explain why in a moment. But it seems as though she's either spoken to him before or she's at least heard him preach. And when she hears that Jesus is having dinner at Simon's house, she decides to pop over and she brings with her an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, this would have been a costly perfume, which women would sometimes carry in a flask around their necks. And when she arrives, the dinner party suddenly gets interesting. You see, in Jesus' day, there were certain expectations when it came to hospitality. And, and this is true in many places today, in fact. So where I come from in Liverpool, England, if someone comes to your house, it's expected that you offer them a cup of tea. And it doesn't matter who it is. 
whether it's a friend or a family member or even the plumber, if you don't offer them a cup of tea, it's quite rude. So when I moved over here, we had the Verizon guy come over to install the internet in our apartments. So of course I offered them a cup of tea as you do. And he laughed at me. Like he thought I was joking. Now in Jesus' day, the expectations were a bit different. When, when your guests arrived, you were expected to greet them, not with a cup of tea, but with a kiss on the cheek. But it didn't stop there because back then people would walk around in open-toed sandals on streets that were more like sewers. And so your guests' feet were likely covered in sweat and manure and, and maybe even worse things. And so therefore you were expected to provide water so that they could wash their feet. And if you had servants, you'd even have your servant wash their feet for them. And lastly, you were expected to provide some olive oil so that they could freshen up their face after a, a long day in the hot sun. Now, to break these rules of hospitality was very serious. Because your guest would not only be offended, but they could even end up leaving your home as an enemy. And in verse 45 to 46, we learn that Simon did none of these things for Jesus. And that begs the question, why did he even invite Jesus over for dinner in the first place? Who knows? We're not told exactly. But his hospitality failure would have been obvious to everybody at the dinner. It would have been the elephant in the room. But it seems as though... The woman, when she arrives, immediately notice what, notices what has happened. And she can't believe it. So she breaks all social taboos and she enters the party. And it's difficult to know exactly what her plan was. It's likely that she simply wanted to anoint Jesus' head or his feet with her perfume. But when she approaches Jesus, her emotions simply get the better of her. So in verse 38... She totally breaks down. She drops to the floor and she begins rain of buckets of tears on Jesus' feet. And, and this is clearly not planned because she doesn't, she doesn't have a towel with her. And so noticing that she drowned Jesus' feet with her tears, she commits another social no-no and she lets down her hair. Again, in that culture, for a woman to let down her hair in public was shameful. You know, you can, you can hear the gasps, but she, she doesn't care. And she wipes the soiled and soaking feet of Jesus with her hair. She then proceeds to shower his feet with kisses before anointing them with her costly perfume. As one commentator put it, she is a self-forgetful mess. It's quite the scene, isn't it? I mean, I mean try and picture it in your mind. You have this notorious woman of the city, red in the face, covered in tears, snot dripping down, hair tattered and soiled, kissing someone's feet. Imagine the sound of, of cutlery being dropped, the, the, the gossiping and giggles and gasps around the room. And Simon the host looking on in horror. In verse 39, we see Simon's reaction. Interestingly, he doesn't say anything out loud. He simply thinks to himself, he says, if 
this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. For she's a sinner. You know, notice the contempt in Simon's heart. He has contempt towards Jesus. If this man were really a prophet. And he has contempt towards the woman. If Jesus knew who this tramp was. If he knew what sort of despicable things she's done. I mean, oh, he's even letting her touch him. Gross. You know, it would have no doubt delighted Simon to see Jesus pull away, wouldn't it? Maybe to push her face into the ground, to scream, get off me, you, you filthy sinner. I mean, can't you see that this is a gathering of respectable people? Who let you in here anyway? That's the kind of Simon that Jesus, that's the kind of Jesus that Simon wanted. Someone just like himself. Amazingly, in verse 40, Jesus responds to Simon's thoughts. It, it, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, Simon, I know who she is. And I know who you are too. In fact, I know what you're thinking right now. You see, I don't simply know what people are like on the outside. I know what people are like on the inside too. I know who you are deep down in your heart. And again, if you'd have asked people who needs forgiveness? Simon or she who must not be named? The pious Pharisee or the shameless streetwalker? Who do you think people would have voted for? However, the irony of this story is that there's another sinner in the town and behold, it's Simon. The difference is his sins are more socially acceptable, aren't they? Pride. Arrogance, half-heartedness, indifference, insensitivity, judgmentalism. You know, religious people really identify these things as sins because they're often hidden. You know, I wonder, do you identify at all with Simon here? You know, maybe your life looks pretty squeaky clean on the outside. You never miss church. You know your doctrine. People know you as someone who cares about morality and righteousness but inside it's a different story inside you have a judgmental critical spirit a spirit that's always comparing yourself with with other sinners in order to feel better about yourself inside you're indifferent and insensitive lacking compassion for the outcasts of society inside you're bitter and angry I mean, people at home know this, even if nobody outside does. You know, maybe inside you're proud and arrogant. You'd never have a, have a person who talks like that over for dinner. You'd never welcome someone with hair background into your social circle. You wouldn't be caught dead associating with a person that talks like that. You know, Simon may have fooled others, but he can't fool Jesus. Jesus knows him inside out. And the truth is, Jesus knows you and me inside out too. And what we see in this passage is the respectable, moral person has the same problem as the lowlife lawbreaker. 
they both need forgiveness. And to show this, Jesus tells a parable in verse 41. He says that a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him the equivalent of 500 days wages, the other 50. And even though the amounts are different, both debtors are in exactly the same position. Neither can pay what they owe. And Jesus is one to show here that the high class Pharisee has the same problem as the low class prostitute. Both have an unpayable debt. They both need forgiveness. And if that's, uh, and if that's true for them, it's also true for you and me. So some of us are more like the woman in the story. We've committed scandalous, shameful sins, maybe even publicly. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't need anyone to tell you that you need forgiveness. I mean, you know that all too well. But then there's others here who look pretty decent on the outside. I mean, we, we have the, the odd moral failure, but, but we're certainly like not, we're not like some of the people we know. Yet inside our hearts are like petri dishes to sin. Jealousy, lust, greed, racism, selfishness, anger, judgmentalism, pride. Like Simon, many of us think we're not too bad because we haven't done this or that. However, we've been indifferent and unloving towards other people. And not just other people, but we've been indifferent and unloving towards Jesus himself, which is the worst sin of all. We all need forgiveness this morning. And that brings us on to our second point, the reality of forgiveness. The reality of forgiveness. So as the parable continues in verse 42, we discover that something unthinkable has happened. In a display of amazing generosity, the moneylender cancels or forgives the debt of both. Some of you are still paying off your college debt. Some of you will still be paying off your college debt when you get to heaven. And so can you imagine having it cancelled just like that? I mean, it'd be amazing. Well, that's nothing compared to what happens here. Yet notice what Jesus' big point is in verse 42. He asks Simon, now which of them will love him more? Simon, knowing that he's been backed into a corner, kind of half-heartedly replies in verse 43, the one, I suppose, for whom... He cancelled the larger debt. To which Jesus responds, almost ironically, you've judged right. You've judged rightly. Congratulations, Simon. Finally, you've made a correct judgment for once. But then Jesus turns to the woman in verse 44 and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? And it's it's an interesting question, of course, because, yeah, Simon sees her. But he doesn't see her, does he? Not truly, anyway. He doesn't see her as Jesus sees her. All he sees is a woman defined by her past, defined by her mistakes. And so he misses what's right before his very eyes. Jesus says, I entered your house, Simon, yet you gave me no water for my feet. Yet this woman, this this sinner, She wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, yet from the moment I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You offered me no oil, but she has anointed my feet with expensive perfume. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? As, as Jesus talks, she's still kissing his feet. She hasn't stopped. You know, whenever I leave the house, I, I always give my kids a kiss goodbye. And I only ever plan to kiss them once. But by the time I leave, I have usually wrapped up around 6,000 kisses. Because once I start, I just find it really hard to stop. And why is that? Well, it's because I just love them so much. And that's why this woman still kisses Jesus. That's why she's still kissing them. Because, and that's really the reason behind all of her actions in this passage. This woman loved Jesus. And in verse 47, we see what is really the key to our whole passage. Because the question is, why did this woman love Jesus? And not just love him, but deeply love him. Look at verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. Now, let me tell you what verse 47 doesn't say. Jesus is not saying here that the woman is forgiven because she loved. Her love doesn't earn Jesus' forgiveness. We, we mustn't think for one second that the woman is doing all of this in order to be forgiven. If we, if we think that, then we miss everything. She doesn't arrive at this dinner thinking, okay, you know what, if I, if I do this really nice thing for Jesus, like if I shed a few tears, if I, if I show him how much I, I don't care about what people think of me, if I show him how much I'm prepared to change, maybe, just maybe he'll forgive me. That's not what's going on here. Rather, her love is evidence that she's already been forgiven. Look at verse 47 again. Jesus acknowledges that this woman has many sins. He doesn't deny that. However, those sins, those many sins are forgiven. Now, how can Jesus say that with such confidence? How does he know his, her sins are forgiven? Well, it's because she loved him. I mean, why else would she love him? The NIV actually translates this better. In verse 47, the NIV says, Therefore I tell you, her many sin sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. That's why in verse 50, Jesus says, Your faith has saved you. Notice he doesn't say your love has saved you. It's a faith in Jesus that has saved her, a faith which has expressed itself in love. That's why it's likely she's already had an encounter with Jesus before this event. So here's a woman who knows she's morally bankrupt. There's nothing that she can do to earn back God's favour. Then one day she sees a guy who's preaching to a crowd and he teaches like no one has ever taught before. And he has good news and she's never heard good news before. He announces forgiveness of sins. And who for exactly? To the good people, the respectable people, those who keep the rules? No, forgiveness for anyone who would come to him in faith. But I have so many, so many sins. I mean, you don't know what I've done, Jesus. It doesn't matter, Jesus declares. 
No matter how big your debt, I'm willing to cancel it. All you have to do is come to me. And that's why she loves Jesus so much. She loves so much because she's aware of how much she's been forgiven. But what about Simon? What does his lack of love evidence? Jesus says in verse 47, he who is forgiven little, loves little. In other words, Simon, you lack love because you lack forgiveness. It's a really shocking statement when you think about it. And it really turns this whole dinner party upside down. All of a sudden, Simon's biggest problem is not that he broke some rules of hospitality. It's not that he failed to offer Jesus a cup of tea. As terrible as that would have been, his lack of love evidenced a lack of faith. And because he was devoid of faith, he was devoid of forgiveness and salvation. The woman has experienced the reality of forgiveness. Simon hasn't. So in verse 48, Jesus turns to the woman and he addresses her for the first time in our passage. I mean, think of the kind of words and comments that she's used to hearing. Yet when Jesus speaks to her, he reassures her. He says, your sins are forgiven. So what does this mean for us? Well, if you don't love Jesus, then maybe it's an indication that you haven't received forgiveness. And if that's true, then you're still in your sins. You still owe an unpayable debt to God, whether you realise it or not. And so what you need to do today is not try harder to love Jesus if you do that, you've missed the point. But what you need to do today is you need to see your need for forgiveness. You need to see that you're not that different than the woman in this passage. And you need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Because he alone offers that forgiveness to you this morning. And so would you do that today? Yet my assumption is that most of the people listening this morning truly believe in Jesus. However, they find their love for him is often cold. Is that you? You know, you just find yourself loving other things more. You don't always love spending time with him, hearing from him. His commands sometimes seem burdensome to you. I mean, that's all of us on some level, right? Now, I wonder how much of our lack of love for Jesus is down to having a really low view of our sin. You know, the woman in this passage had a really high view of her sin. And so forgiveness was precious to her. You know, many of us take our sin so lightly that we take our forgiveness lightly too. You know, maybe what you and I need today is a greater awareness of our own sin. You know, there are some churches that don't like to talk about sin. It's just too negative. They worry that it will scare, scare people away. So they just want to talk about nice things like God's love and kindness and goodness. But actually, the more we ignore or play down our sin, the more that we try to convince ourselves that we're really good people at heart, the more we'll grow indifferent to the good news of Jesus. That's why at our church, 
we we have a prayer of confession every Sunday. I don't know what you do, but we have a prayer of confession every Sunday. And in this prayer, we simply confess our sins to God. And we don't do this to make us feel bad. We do this to make us love the gospel of Jesus more. And so maybe a good place to begin is to make a habit of confessing your sins daily to God. And, and to watch how the reality of Jesus' forgiveness leads you to an increasing love for him. You know, the more that you see how terrible a person you are deep inside, the more Jesus' love and forgiveness will be precious to you. Or maybe you're listening this morning and, and actually you're very aware of your own sin. Like maybe you've committed many great sins or maybe you've just have a really sensitive conscience and you know that you need forgiveness. I mean, confessing sins kind of feels like your spiritual gift. Yet you still struggle to love Jesus. I wonder if that's you, has the reality of forgiveness sunk in for you yet? I mean, do you still struggle to believe that Jesus really does forgive you? That he doesn't hold it against you? That he's not waiting for you to, to ship up before, to shape up before you before you're good enough for him. He's not waiting for you um, to, to, to attain to some sort of moral standard before he'll love you. You know, maybe it's hard to love Jesus because you still think that he actually doesn't love you. If that's you, then you need to realise the reality of forgiveness today. To hear the words Jesus speaks in verse 48 and, him, and imagine him speaking them to you this morning. Your sins are forgiven. So we've seen the need for forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. And we've seen the reality of forgiveness. Jesus truly offers it to all who would come to him in faith. And that brings us on to our last point today, the cost of forgiveness. The cost of forgiveness. So we see in this passage that forgiveness is a gift received by faith. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But this leaves us with a question. If forgiveness isn't earned, does that mean that it's free? Is forgiveness free? Well, that depends. So imagine I invite uh, Pastor Ed over to my house. And when he arrives, I, I offer him a cup of tea, obviously. And as we sit down, he notices that, that I have this brand new laptop. And, and he's like, whoa, is this, is this a new laptop, Mike? Oh, that looks, that looks amazing. Can I, can, can I look at it? And I'm like, sure, Ed, go for it. But as he's looking at it, he spills, he slips and he spills his cup of tea all over my laptop. And he ruins it in the process. And, and so Ed's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm so sorry, Mike. I can't believe what I've just done. I, I, I'll buy you a new one. But imagine I say to Ed, brother, don't worry. In fact, don't even worry about buying me a new one. I forgive you. Is forgiveness free in that scenario? Well, for Ed, it's free. But not for me. I mean, it, it costs me a new laptop. Or it costs me the money needed to purchase a new one to replace it. Forgiveness always costs. And this is true not only on an economic level, but on a relational one as well. So imagine Ed calls me the next day. 
And he says, Mike, look, I've got to be honest with you. It, it, it's eating me up inside. I haven't slept. I spilled the tea on purpose. I, I, I was just jealous. I was jealous that you, you had this, this brand new laptop and I don't. And, and, and I don't even like tea anyway. I don't know why you British people like it so much. And, and, and anyway, I just feel, I feel so convicted and I just felt like I needed to come and confess. So, so imagine in this scenario that I said to Ed, brother, that's, that's really terrible. But you know what? I, I still forgive you. Like, is, is forgiveness free then? Well, again, for Ed, yes, but not for me. Because now there's an emotional cost. I have to absorb the pain. I have to give up the right to get even. I have to commit to not use this against Ed in the future. Forgiveness always costs someone. And the bigger the offence, the bigger the cost. And we see this in our passage, don't we? So in the parable Jesus tells, is forgiveness free? Well, for the ones in debt, yes, but not for the moneylender. The moneylender takes the financial hit. He absorbs the debt. Now, you know what? Many people wonder why God can't just forgive us for the bad things we've done. I mean, why can't he just let it go? But it's not as simple as that. Forgiveness always costs something. And the bigger the offence, the bigger the cost. And our offence against God is big, really big, infinitely big. And therefore, so is the cost of forgiveness. So think about the woman in this passage. Her sins are forgiven. Verse 48. However, her sins weren't simply swept underneath the carpet. Her forgiveness costs something. It always does. She has a great moral debt. She's committed many sins and justice demands that her sins be punished. So who took the hit? Who absorbed the debt? Well, a clue is found in verse 49. Look at verse 49. We read this. Then those who were with him at table began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgive sins. You know what? The people around the table clocked onto something here. They realised that, hold on a minute, only one person can forgive sins. And that's God. Because sins, sins are first and foremost against God. I mean, like if somebody sins against you, I can't forgive them. Because the sin wasn't against me. Similarly, only God can forgive sins because sins are first and foremost against God. Yet notice that it's Jesus who forgives her sin. How is that? Well, it's because as the Bible teaches us, Jesus was not just a mere man. Jesus is God. He is God who came in the flesh. And Jesus came not simply to proclaim forgiveness, but he came to purchase forgiveness. He paid the cost. The penalty for sin is death and Jesus died. He, the perfect son of God, became sin on the cross. He was treated 
as though he, not the woman, committed many sins. He absorbed the full righteous wrath of God in her place for her sin. And not only for her, but for you and me too. I mean, have you committed many sins? Yeah, me too. But Jesus paid the cost. Have you been a self-righteous Pharisee? Yes, me too. But Jesus paid the cost. Have you failed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind? Yes, me too. But Jesus paid the cost. Have you failed to love your neighbour as yourself? Yes, me too. But guess what? Jesus paid the cost. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I mean, isn't this just amazing? I mean, isn't this great news? I mean, think about it. You and I can come to God this morning with all of our sin and all of our failures and all of our weaknesses. And we can sing with confidence, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. So have you grown cold in your love for Jesus? I mean, do you find yourself feeling indifferent towards your saviour? Then look to the cross. Think about the cross. Meditate on the cross. Sing about the cross. Marinate your soul in the glorious news of the cross. Because it's there on the cross that we see the infinite cost that Jesus paid for our forgiveness. It's there that we see how much Jesus loves us. And why do we love Jesus? We love because he first loved us. That's the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. Brothers and sisters, we stand forgiven at the cross. Praise God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we confess this morning that we need forgiveness. We're just like the Pharisee. We're self-righteous. We look down on other people. We compare ourselves with others to make ourselves feel better. We think we're good people, and we're not. And we're also like the woman in the passage. We've committed sins privately and publicly that are shameful. And Lord, we stand with a debt that is too big for us to pay. And we deserve your wrath. But we praise you. We thank you for the reality of forgiveness. That you offer forgiveness to all who have come to Christ in faith. And we know that that forgiveness is available. Because he paid the, he paid the cost with his own life. He absorbed the, the pain. He absorbed the wrath. And so we can stand forgiven at the cross. We thank you. We praise you. Lord Jesus, and we say, we declare this morning that we love you.